0: This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to start something more uh, new this morning, and so I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 26. Um, And it just, there's so much in this and I can't, I can't get it all in today. And so what I want to do is I'm going to kind of just start moving around today, but there are so many principles for life in this. One of the most wonderful things is that Jesus came to model for us what it was to live the overcoming life. And so the precedence in certain things that it's important for us to be able to grab a glimpse of it and be able to apply it to our lives. Um, Matthew 26, 36 to 46, it says, and Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The Spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, he went away, and he prayed a third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going see my betrayer is at hand there's so much in here to unpack and so let's just start off at the very beginning and then what we'll do is we'll just kind of start to dissect from there and i think a good place to start is this god is good god is good if you know god god is good And it's not just because God is good because he chooses to be good. God is good because God is good. He is goodness. God is love. God is life. Everything that God touches, he brings love and light and life to. So everything he does experiences goodness it's a starting point because we need to understand sometimes we people when we have the r- the wrong idea and the wrong impression of who god is we live in expectation of things that are not godly and so we're living in an expectation of that god's going to do some stuff in our life and god's going to have some influence in our life that is not in any way what god is all about and so it's important that we start god is good God is good. Not only is God good, but one thing that we speak about a lot in this church and something that I want to expound on a little bit in this is the fact that God is a God of purpose. Nothing happens by accident in God's economy. Everything is purposeful and everything is intentional. And when we speak about purpose, what it means is there is an agenda that's at play. There is a spiritual agenda that is at play in your life right now. The challenge with us sometimes is that, I, I can't get into this, and I'll, I'll speak about it in a couple of weeks' time, we, we challenged as beings because we really have two sides to who we are. We have a spiritual side, and we have a natural side. We have a spiritual side, and we have a fleshly side. And whichever side has the biggest voice is going to have the loudest influence. And the challenge with it is that God's purpose and God's intention for our life is only going to be discerned when you hear the spiritual side of things. Spirit speaks unto spirit. His spirit is going to communicate with us. And so when we're at a place where we, know, we don't recognize spirit, we don't engage spirit, what it does is it puts us at a place where we exclude ourselves from actually understanding what God's purpose is for our life. And when we do that, we work on assumptions and we run ahead and do stuff. And so God has a purpose for us in God's purpose and God's plan. The way that he's going to work through it is his his intention as a good God is always to introduce us to his purpose for who you are. Firstly, he has a purpose for you in terms of who you are, what you're about, how you live. Who are you as a person? There is a reason why he speaks about being conformed to the image of Christ. And I'll speak about that a little bit later. The point is that God has a purpose for who you are. Not only has he got a purpose for who you are, but he has a purpose for the plan for your life. You are called as a purple purpose. See, I shouldn't tell jokes. That's what happens. My lips go all funny. You were called as an agent of change. The challenge with it is we're too we we have two sides to us. We have flesh and we have spirit. And the challenge with it is they're doing this with continuity because one is always at odds with the other. And the challenge with it is as long as your flesh is in control, what you see as being your purpose may not be your purpose at all. Amen. What God calls us to do as our purpose is very often very different to what our flesh wants. Our natural inclination as fleshly beings is to take the root of least resistance. When we look at situations that confront us, really what we're doing is there is a side to us that's built into us, that's built into our fleshly nature, that is averse to risk. It's averse to something that's going to be harmful or detrimental to me. And ultimately, what we're really looking for is we're looking for something that's going to be indulgent and beneficial to me. So the inclination of my flesh is to go that way. But the way that my flesh wants to go is not necessarily the way that the spirit wants to go. And so I have to make a call in that space. I have to make a decision about what it is that I want to do. Jesus is at an interesting place because Jesus understands what his future is holding for him. And Jesus is at a place right now where his life and his ministry is about to culminate in his call and his ultimate purpose. And as he moves into that place of the garden, he's going in there to pray. It's an interesting space because as he moves into that place, it's a place where His history and everything that he's been about, everything that he's discovered, realizing and walking from the Father on the inside of me, experiencing the things that he has because the Father has empowered me. The history and every way that he's been has come into play. But in that space, he understands his calling and what his future is gonna look like. And he has to make a decision. The garden is the place of decision. The garden is the place of decision. You will all end up in the garden more than once, numerous times throughout your lifetime. Why? Because the garden is the place between where you are and God's purpose. You have to go through the garden to engage purpose. Purpose is on the other side. The reason that you have to do that is because God is not going to do anything in your life without your consent. He's given you a free will. And when you get into the garden, you get the right and you have the prerogative of making a choice about which way you want to go. When you move into the garden, God is going to show you what his will is, what his purpose is, and he's going to invite you to participate in it. But we have the choice and the prerogative of deciding whether we want to do that or not. The garden is an interesting place because in the garden, it's going to challenge who you are and what you believe. You really say you believe it? It's going to challenge your faith and your trust in God. That's right. It's easy to say stuff, but it's when you get in the garden that you're really going to discover to what extent that, that bears out. Right. The garden is an interesting place, but the garden is an important place for all of us. Going into the garden, going into the garden, Jesus knows what's about to happen to him and he knows about the future and what's coming. And the first thing that he does is he says to his disciples, come, let's go into the garden. The garden that he chooses to go into is a garden called Gethsemane. Gethsemane means the olive press. What's interesting is the name of the garden is the olive press. The place that he went to meet with God is the place that is the olive press. It's not meeting with God and the olive press was separate from God. He went to meet with God and where he was with God was the olive press. Why? Because when he met with God, he is introduced to the reality and and the reality was reaffirmed to him that it's like, I have a purpose for your life. I have a purpose for your life, but the purpose that I have for your life is going to cost you. Are you prepared to pay the price? He was inviting Jesus to come into that place, and he was giving him the prerogative of choice. Jesus even says so. "Can Can this cup pass from me? You can choose. You can choose. In the place of where the press is, God is very often going to introduce us to what his purpose is for our life. But it comes at a cost. The question is, are we prepared to pay the the cost? We don't think like that. And we think, surely God's not going to do something like that. The thing about it is, what God does is, because God is love and he loves us so very much, he understands what's best for us. And because he understands what's best for us, what he's saying is, I love you too much to leave you where you are. I have a plan and a purpose, not only for you, but and there were some times where you have to understand that my purpose is bigger than your comfort. My purpose is bigger than where you are. And unless you prepare to trust me and step into my purpose, you just keep going round and round the mountain. As long as I live in the garden. There are some people that have spent their whole lives walking around the mountain, uh, the garden. Walking around the garden. Why? Because God extended the invitation to them. Do you want to step into purpose in this area of your life? Do you want to step into purpose and move out of where you are right now? And they won't make the call. And so they're in the garden. And they're living in the garden. And they're walking around in the garden. Your purpose is on the other side of the garden. And the way that you get from this end of the garden to that end of the garden is when you say, not my will, but thy will be done. And that is the key to stepping into your purpose in your life. And until you prepare today, say that. We spend our lives going around and around in the garden. It's an interesting thing because the reason we feel such, such a sense of pressure and the reason that it's so alive in us is because Jesus loved the Father. He loved him. He knew the father so intimately. He speaks about the fact, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. You know what he was saying? He was saying, I know him so intimately. He is so important to me that I have relinquished control of my life. And I've allowed him to give definition to who I am. So when you see me and when you see how I behave, when you see how I act, you've seen the father. Not only that, but because I live from his will, the things that happen in my life, I attribute to him. This was a father that he had an intimate love relationship with. And because I trust him and because he loved me, I live in this place of intimacy with him. But it's in that very space where the father says, you know what? If you love me, will you obey me? Why? Because if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The reason that we don't keep his commandments, this is for all the beach people, is because we don't trust him. You don't trust him. Why? Because when I got to that place, I'm not sure that what's on the other side of the garden is going to be better than where I am right now. I'm not sure about that. I'm not convinced. If you knew that, you would step beyond it. The reason that very often we find ourselves living in the garden is because we haven't got to the place where we trust him. We trust him. Jesus goes into this place. And what's interesting about it is Jesus' history and Jesus' life with the Holy Spirit had prepared him for that very moment. Jesus was conceived, and he was born as Emmanuel, God with us. From the very outset, there was destiny in his future. From the very outset, there was an ultimate purpose. God knew it from the moment he was conceived the Lamb of God, who is to take away the sin of the world. There was purpose before God, Jesus was ever conceived. There is purpose to your life before you were ever conceived. God knows exactly what it is that you should be, and God knows exactly what it is that you're going to be doing, walking out your, your life. And the thing about it is All too often we think that God Is going to change our reality God is going to change our existence God is going to put us out of our workspace And he's going to put us into this grand space Where I'm going to have platform And I'm going to have exposure And I'm going to be well known And I'm going to be rich And I'm going to be all And God's like you know what Not thy will But mine be done (laughs) yeah. What changes your reality is when you get intimate with Him. Because when you get intimate with Him, things start to happen. And what starts to happen is I start to migrate away from my flesh and I start to move into a space called spirit. And when I get out of my flesh, what happens is my propensities and my tendencies start to change because now I become more spirit motivated than flesh motivated. And when I step out of my flesh and I step into my spirit, what all of a sudden starts to happen is my senses begin to change and i start to feel things spiritually that i never felt before things begin to affect me and touch me in ways that they never used to because i wasn't in that space before i begin to hear things from a different perspective i begin to see life from a different perspective and all of a sudden i start to identify purpose in spaces that i never saw why it wasn't that it didn't exist before i just didn't see it why because i was looking through the wrong set of glasses I was looking through the wrong set of glasses. I don't know if you ever had this when you were kids, but we had these silly novel things because we never had a lot of technology. But <laughs> they, did you ever get those books that it was like the picture was all fuzzy and all muddled and everything was all over the place and then you put on your glasses and all of a sudden it became 3D and it was like, whoa, I can see everything. Yeah. That's what happened spiritually when you get involved spiritually, suddenly you see life completely differently. God's not looking to change your reality. He's looking to elevate your status in your reality. He's not looking to change your family, change your husband, change your wife, change your life, change your kids, change your work. He's not looking to do that necessarily. He's looking to elevate your perspective because when you see it differently, you live in the expectation differently. No longer do I live with this thing anymore, But, oh, Father, what could we do if this happened? We discover purpose in our everyday life if we just allow him to elevate us and move us from a place of being natural people, being carnal Christians, to being Christians who live intimately from a place of spirituality. God prepared you for this very moment in your life. Anytime you walk into the garden, God had prepared you for that. You may not feel prepared. You may not look prepared. You may not even consider yourself prepared. I'm telling you, you're prepared. He never put you in there by accident. And if you'll just surrender to the influence of the Holy Spirit in that place, He'll open your eyes, open your understanding, and position you at a place to be a person of influence in that place. God works in incredible ways, and God is always looking to move the body, the church, into the fullness of, of His revelation of who He is, not just from a, a, an objective point of view, so that it becomes experiential. He's looking to move us to a place that our relationship with God becomes so close and so intimate, so dynamic that it changes all the time. And because of that, what happens is if you look over church history, you'll see there were moves of God in different ways. Why? Because the church is not always that smart. And so what ends up happening is, should I tell you what happens with most of the body? Most of the body moves with the leaders. Most of the body Thank goodness it's nobody at Living Faith. Most of the body never goes and b- develops their own intimate relationship with God. So, what happens is they come in on Sunday and they hear what gets taught to them and they take it and they live it. They don't go out and check it. They don't get with the Holy Spirit. They don't do any research and checking out for themselves. They don't get with the Father and sit and say, "Talk to me a little bit about this. They take it and digest it. So good. And it's a problem because not everything that they get is complete. Or whole or even correct right. so what ends up happening sometimes is that the body starts going in this direction and it's like what happened so god comes in and what happens is god tries to bring about a change so that he can introduce truth into that situation for a long time the church had lived at a place and i'm going to speak about this maybe a little bit later or, or next week but the, the church lived at a place where god was alive But God was out there. I appreciated God and I went to church and I was taught about a God. I was taught about Jesus who came and Jesus who died for me and Jesus who rose from the dead and Jesus who is resurrected and Jesus who paid for my sins, but a Jesus who rose and he lives at the right hand of the father. And for me, the father was out there and the son was out there on his right hand. And here I was removed from him. And was it like in the late 70s and early 80s, there started to come a different shift where all of a sudden God was starting to reintroduce the fact that, you know what? Incarnational reality is so important to us. It's so important. Are are, are the objective truths still there? Absolutely. Are they important? Fundamental. But the importance of the New Testament was the fact that it's not just a God who is alive, but it's a God who indwells us. And suddenly everything started to shift and change because we began to recognize the fact that he's not a God who's distant in a way off, but he's a God who lives with me and a God who walks with me and a God who understands my life and what's happening in the most intimate way. And with regularity, he's wanting to have influence in that space. He loves me. Wow. It wasn't just a case that God had regard for me that I was just a number, but he was interested in me. I began to experience God's goodness because God was focused on that. And he wanted me to know as a good God, I want to touch and I want to do things in your life. I want you to experience me every single day in every aspect of your life. It became transformational and it caught on like wildfire. It was a wonderful thing if you have a look at it, where it was and how it, got. but the problem with it was this, we always so funny as people because we never get balanced, And so we come up from one end and we fall over on the other side. And all of a sudden, what ended up happening is a God that loved us and a God that was interested in us. A God who wants to be intimate and part of every part of our life. All of a sudden, it became a case of, well, God is no longer the center of the kingdom. Christ is no longer on the throne of the kingdom. It's now me. Oh, God, you you gave me dreams, Lord. I know. Make my dreams happen. Meet my needs. Get me where I am, fulfill everything for me, make me happy, fill up my bank account. (laughs) What happened? I became the center of the kingdom. I'm never the center of the kingdom. The problem with the center of the kingdom is it's no longer your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's my will be done according to your power. We want to know sometimes why our prayers aren't answered. Because God said, it's not my will. You didn't ask me. You ran off and did some stuff and you're asking for me to bless it. I'm not in it. Oh, well, this this name it, claim it stuff doesn't work. No, it doesn't. (laughs) What does work is when you get yourself to a place where I'm in the garden. Because when I'm in the garden, it's not about my will, it's about his will. When I'm in the garden, it's all of a sudden a completely different paradigm because in that place, I begin to recognize the fact that he is king. He is the center of the kingdom. And I'm at a place right now where it's not about me. It's about him. It's about him. Jesus goes into that place and he begins to pray. When he begins to pray because there is a reality to where he is. And he understands that a greater purpose is at play, but he understands that the price is going to be sacrifice. And it's not a sacrifice, a punching Puncturing my pride, hurting my feelings. It's a pride, it's it's a price called death. The funny thing about it is, sometimes we miss what was most important to Jesus in that time. What concerned him most was not the fact that he was going to be betrayed. And that was bad, but that wasn't it. It wasn't the fact that they were going to trump up charges and take him and they find him guilty of a whole bunch of stuff that he really wasn't guilty of. That wasn't what bothered him. It wasn't the flogging, as terrible as that might be. And it wasn't the crucifixion, as awful as that was. What bothered him the most... was taking up the sin of the world. The Father would turn his back on him. And in that moment, he would experience something he had never known to be separated from the Father. That is what was so formidable for him that's what caused a whole bunch of stuff to rise up on the inside of him. I'm going into a future that I don't know. And I don't imagine anything good is going to come of that. It's a place I've never been. In that place, it also demands a trust in me. Because if I'm going to be separate from him, I better trust that his spirit is going to raise me up on the third day. God is going to want to do some amazing things in our life. Not only in your life, but God is going to want to do some amazing stuff through your life. The thing is, very often, we find ourselves at a place where we talk so much about living for God. And living for God is really important. Living for Jesus is fantastic. Living for Jesus and going out with an attitude of Jesus, you know what, I want to touch the world, and Jesus, I want to live for you, and and Jesus, I want to be a person that that touches my neighborhood and and touches my family. I'm very keen on living for God. But when you get into the garden, the question he asks is, but are you prepared to die for me? Are you prepared to die for me? You see, God doesn't live by trying to fix things. He lives by birthing things. So when it comes to who I am, if I'm a person that's struggling with things outside of what God is, he doesn't ask me to try and fix it. He asks me to die to it. If you're a person who's consumed with worry and fear, He doesn't ask you to try and fix your fear. What he says is, are you prepared to die to it so that I can birth my faith on the inside of you? It's a question we've got to answer. But the thing about it is, he waits in that space. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? All of us have stuff that's happening in our lives right now. And the question is, when you're in that space, have you found his will? Have you found His will? Have you found what His purpose is? It's very easy to look at the challenges that we have in life and automatically come up with, this is how I think I should respond to it. This is what I think I should be doing. This is what I believe the right approach should be. understand there were two trees in the garden. tree of the knowledge of good and evil and a tree of life. And very often when we're in the garden, we're eating from the wrong tree. When you're reading from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what we're doing is I'm, a re- I'm putting myself at a place where I understand what it is that we should be doing. And Jesus, is, is, uh, the father is sitting saying, I don't want you to do it. I want you to come to me. I don't want you to go out and use your flesh and run ahead and do some stuff in the flesh. Stop for a moment. The garden is where you put on the pause and you sit and say, it's not about me. It's about him. It's not about my will, it's about his will. It's not about my purpose, it's about his purpose. And in that place, I have to get into a space where I try and find out from him what it is that you want to do here. We can't believe sometimes that we find ourselves in the garden. God doesn't work like this. God doesn't put challenges in my life. God doesn't put obstacles up there. God doesn't do that kind of stuff. That's not what God is all about. The reason that those things sometimes exist is because there's some stuff at play that really really, what God's doing is he's putting a pause on things. And he's saying, have a look. Don't go hurtling towards the edge and falling over it. He put some stuff in our life because when we put some stuff in our life, it creates an opportunity for us to enter in and for us to experience his purpose in that place. You think your husband is so dreadful. You think your wife is the problem and you're living in that space and you're throwing mud and you're throwing stones and you think your boss is awful. Can't believe him. He's the biggest obstacle to me. You can't believe your neighbors. Good, grief. Can't believe politicians. There's stuff happening all around with regularity stuff in our homes stuff in our families stuff in our relationships and the thing about it is all too often we just want to go sauntering right through without realizing that god might be putting a pause on some of that stuff because what god's saying is if you can make the switch and stop reading it through your natural eyes and if you can get to the place where you are spiritually charged and you allow my spirit to open the eyes of your understanding you will see what i'm trying to do in the space You think the problem is your spouse. It's not your spouse. The thing is, I'm wanting to make some changes in there, and I'm going to want to do it through you. No, it couldn't be me. He wants to do it through you. Stop worrying about the other person. If you get together with him, the question he's prepared to ask you, and he's going to ask you is this, will you die? Oh, I'll die for Jesus, not my wife. Literally not that rancid husband of mine. What is he saying? You know, you, we always think we're so right. But you start to adopt a spiritual perspective on things and you get into some places and suddenly you begin to realize, you know what? I've had my hands all over this. Get off. Let him do what he wants to do. And when I sit and put myself at a place in the garden where I say, not my will, but thy will be done. He's going to show you some stuff. And some of it is, I'm going to have to die to it. Stop telling your husband everything that he should do. Tell him how bad he is and how wrong he is. Stop telling your wife this, that, and the next thing. Die to some things. Listen and read what's going on in the situation spiritually. And let the Holy Spirit begin to move in that space. I just want to I, I, I'll get into more of this next week. I, I just there's some one thing I want to touch on is this. When Jesus moved into the garden, what did he say to his disciples? He said, I'm going into the garden to pray. Here's the paraphrased version. What Jesus was saying was this. Something is at play, and I'm not journeying with this alone. I recognize what's happening, and the safest and the best place to be is in a place of intimacy with him. So I'm separating myself from the world. I'm separating myself from the environment. You know what? I'll take a couple of my key disciples. You come with me, but I'm going to meet with the Father. Your relationship with God is crucial in your life. Amen. The last month has been so funny because Sarah and I were chatting about, we've known four people who've died over the, in the last month. You're probably wondering, I'm glad I'm not friends with them. <laughs> four people who've died. That's interesting, because of those people, it gave us the opportunity to go to other churches. I never go to other churches. <laughs> I have commitments on Sunday. I don't get to visit other churches. But it was interesting for me because we went into two different denominational churches and it was for the funeral. And there was such a sadness for me in both of those occasions. Not about the person, but what was sad for me was this. The truth of Christ in me was lost, absent. He went to meet with the Father. The truth of the New Testament is this. The reason that Jesus died was to reconcile man to God. And what he did was this. He not only made you clean and pure and brand new. He not only put a new spirit in you. But he did a second thing. He put his spirit in you. Don't miss the second part because of the first part. It's vital because what he's saying is this. I can't get into this now, but I'll I'll touch on it. What brings cohesion to the Godhead is the spirit of God. They all are united in the same spirit. That's what brings them together. And so when you got born again, he took of his spirit and he put it in you. You know what he was saying? Welcome. Welcome. You share the same spirit that unifies the Godhead. It's on the inside of you. Because of that, God who is in heaven, the Father, put his spirit on the inside of you. So when I pray, I pray to the Father. But when he speaks to me, he speaks to me through his spirit in me. That's how he communicates. That's why I feel things on the inside of who I am. Incarnational reality is the most important thing ever because the whole Testament is all about a context called God in you. I listen to interpretations of scriptures during some of these things, and it's completely lost. Because in one of the services, the priest was talking about the heart of God. He was talking about the heart of Jesus, and he was being literal. He was actually talking about Jesus' heart. And I'm thinking, you completely missed it. It's not what it's about. It's about the center of your being, a place where God comes to live and to dwell. The point about it is this, the most important part of our journey through life is getting to a point where we live from and we experience God in me. God in me is a fundamental truth. I get to know God through the word of God. The word of God is so important. The word of God is fundamental. The word of God is the the foundation to everything. That's how I get to know who he is. It's gonna tell me about a Jesus who came. It's gonna tell me about a God who creates. It's gonna tell me about what Jesus did and what he provided for me so that I can step into a relationship with God. It gives me a good description objectively of what everything is. But if you want to know God, you've got to get to know him on the inside of you. Incarnational reality is about a God who lives inside of me, who talks to me, who communicates with me, who introduces me to his purposes and his plans, who guides me and who leads me. And as I journey through life and things start to happen, he's always talking to me, sitting saying, careful there, don't say anything there. I want you to do this over here incarnational reality is an introduction to powerful living I'll speak about this maybe next week but the thing is the reason that it's an invitation to powerful living is this not my will but thy will be done and every word that thy will speaks into this place his spirit is there to make sure that will happens That's where power comes from. And when I'm incongruent with that, what ends up happening is I compromise God's ability to work in situations. I used to think that God wanted me to be conformed to the image of Christ. Because when I got to a place where I was good and I was really like, I was close to being conformed. I was pretty close at least. (laughs) I could see the bull's eye. It was right there. But the closer you got to the bull's eye, the more God would work through you. No, that's wrong. (laughs) So don't take it as a doctrine. This is what it means. It means this. The reason you to be conformed to the image of Christ is because God wants to do some stuff through you to touch a world and to touch other people. And the problem with it is when I am not whole and complete, I get in the way. Because people are going to say some ugly stuff to me. And when they say some ugly stuff to me, can you love your enemies? Can you pray for those who spitefully use you? It's all going to happen. The problem with it is the more I am flesh controlled, the more I react. The more I am spirit minded, the more I recognize where it's coming from, and what ends up happening is it just washes over like water off a duck's back because that's, you've missed the point. That's not the point. Okay, that's all the bubble and froth. Let's get to the heart of stuff. What happens is the more I get conformed to the image of Christ, the more he can work through me because I don't get in the way. I'm going to speak, I think next week, I'm going to tell you a lot of stuff next week. <laughs> but it's so important for us to understand incarnational reality because God is still God and you are not God. And sometimes what ends up happening is we compromise God because we think God is going to do something in me so that I can do something in my world. He's not doing anything in you so you can do something. He's wanting for you to live out of partnership with him. And so he gives the direction. And when I move into that space, I look for him to do something through me. Big difference. Big difference. He's not asking for me to do anything. The thing is, we want to always get our hands in the pie. You know why? I I didn't understand this. I often used to wonder, like, why would that happen? You know why? Because you were built in God's image. You're built in God's image. And as a creative being, look at what man has created. Look at the structures. Look at the innovation. Look at everything. Look at the technology. Look at everything. Where did that come from? You don't see it in any other part of creation. You don't see polar bears inventing stuff. Why does man do it? Because there's a part to man that it's like, I want to create. I, I've got to be a part of that. That comes from God. The problem with it is when we're doing that in the flesh, God encourages it because I put you into the natural world. But when I come to dealing with God, hands off. Why? Because you're not holy. Flesh is not holy. And so a righteous God, a sinless God, doesn't need unholy hands to touch it. Ooh. I, I Sometimes I wonder. I, I do. So I got TikTok a little while ago. I know. And it is, it's interesting because there's a reason I'm telling you this. And so the thing is, it's like I scroll through stuff and blah, blah, blah. And every now and again, I see something interesting. And I saw this hideous thing. There was this country, I won't tell you which one it was. And they did this thing on people who do street food. And you see them preparing it and how they do it. And, when, and it's like, I couldn't even watch it just like it was so filthy that's what happens when we want to get involved in the things of god you know what the problem with it is it's not you but sin is flesh uh, uh, the flesh is sinful and so god wants no part to do with the flesh and so when we come to him what he's saying is can you trust me to do some stuff because i don't want that which is dirty putting its hands in my food I don't know. Speak. You see, you never know what you're going to get here. You see, God has an incredible purpose—an incredible purpose for not only who you are, but for your life and the thing about it is he wants us to partner with him he wants us to know who he is and how much he loves us and to move to a place where until we've developed that intimacy of relationship it's hard to go into the garden because when you go into the garden you're going to have to trust him because when you go into the garden he's going to start to illuminate certain things to you but he's going to ask you to step forward with him into purpose his whole point of inviting you into the garden is to sit and say, not my will, but thy will be done. The way that you get through to the other side is by allowing him to do some stuff. God is bigger than me and my happiness. Understand that God wants to use you as an effective agent of change to touch your People that are important in your life, people in your friendships, your world, your environment. God wants to do stuff in your life that you haven't even imagined yet. He's going to do some stuff on the inside of us because he wants to elevate our perspective on things. He wants us to walk your everyday life. You've got a routine that you do. You probably do your routine because it works for you. He's not going to change your routine. You've got to get the kids off to school. They're not going to disappear tomorrow because of God's purpose. (laughs) But you begin to understand in routine. Hold on a second. It's very easy to be seduced into function as opposed to be elevated into purpose and sit and say, when they come home and tell you something, what is your response? Do you respond from spirit or natural? Don't react to your kids. Sorry, this is a side thing. Don't react to your kids. Your kids are going to come and tell you some stuff that they found at school. And it's probably going to shock you. shocks me. I didn't know half that stuff till I was about 30 years old. The problem with it is we have technology nowadays, and we have kids, and everything's accessible to everybody at any age. So don't make them feel bad because they were exposed to an idea that's outside of truth. It's not their fault they were exposed to it. What you do is you sit and you confront it in a meaningful and constructive way and you sit and say, oh, "I'm so glad you brought that to me. Now let me explain to you why that's not God's design." So why? Because you empower them in that place to sit and say, "You know what? Life is full of ideas, but there is one place for truth." Yeah. Don't sit and swallow everything that people tell you because you'll end up I ended up with with somebody. It's people leave the church. I don't know why people blame me. <laughs> seriously no I, just, I i don't know why i'm telling you these stories <laughs> i so i had a call from the from some parents and they said can you please help me um can you meet with my child because my child has been involved in um some friends at school and some stuff going on um, in social media and they are confused and they think that they may be homosexual. So I said, okay, um, let me meet with them <coughs> and let me see. This is not a, this is not a young person. This was a person who's probably about 17 years of age. <coughs> and so I met with them and I had a discussion we were talking about things. And at one point <coughs> he turned around and he said to me, He said, I know what my parents believe. And he said, I know what God believes and what the Bible teaches. But he said, I want to make my own decision. I can't do anything. Because in the garden, you made a choice to sit and say, I don't want to go that way. I'm going this way. You knew what you were doing. What I can do is I can teach you and I can tell you how much God loves you and how God wants to design for you, but I can't get you to change some stuff that's between you and the Holy Spirit. So he went home and I told his parents that and then they left the church because it was my fault. And I'm like, what? I didn't do it. People have a free choice. Life is full of all kinds of people nowadays promise you i thought life was diverse when i was a kid Pfft, it was nothing life was tame when i was a kid my kids would laugh at it It just like just like my, my, our biggest things were don't smoke and don't drink <laughs> that seems completely tame to reality of life now but the point is this people are just exposed to ideas that's all and not every idea is godly so what what do you want to do in that space throw spiritual mud at them Well, that's going to work. Or do you want to show them the love of God? And what does that look like? I don't know. That's why you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Because in every situation, He's going to speak to you about who that person is and what they're looking for and what they need and how you can impart something of Him to them. This is not about you. You're just a catalyst. You're not going to save anybody. Because I'm not the Savior, I've got to connect with the Savior so I know what to impart. He loves people. I still get things, notices from people all the time. And it's like, why don't you talk about more social things and deal with the social issues and talk about the social ills and the blah, 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 blah. Everybody knows what the social ills are. Nobody's shocked because we have abortion. Nobody's like, I had no clue that wasn't God's idea. People know. The point of it is, people are in places for a reason. So how do you affect change in that situation? Not by telling them that God hates them and that they're going to hell. You affect change when you show them that God loves them more than they've ever imagined. And if they're ever looking for a solution to life, get with Him. Because He'll touch you, He'll change you, He'll heal you, He'll make you whole, He'll fill you, He'll do all kinds of stuff. And when you start to live from God on the inside of you, your perspectives change and suddenly, I don't need that stuff anymore. Actually, you know what? I I was just searching for who I really was. And actually, I found somebody in God. And it's so much better. We're empowered to do stuff. But our empowering is not from us. It comes from Him. A big part of the reason I want to touch on this subject is because God's really, really impressed on me. The need to be a solution in the world. That He is the solution, not me. But because He lives in me, I get to partner with the solution. It's so important. I get to partner with the solution. I am not the solution. He is. Partner with the solution. So... It means relating to, communicating with, hearing, obedience, motivated by him, developing spiritual senses. There's a whole new paradigm that he's opening up for us. Why? Because I'm calling people who are powerful, people who are life transformers. If there's one thing this world needs now, it's life. Life. Why not you close your eyes? Father, I just want to thank you for a, a bunch of, of life-transforming, powerful, loving people. I want to thank you, Father, for your very presence on the inside of us. I want to thank you that the greater one lives within us. Thank you right now that as you lead us through life, you're continually bringing us into the garden, the place where we recognize what your purpose is, and it's a place where we get it out to walk into the fullness of what you have for us. I want to thank you that you change us. I pray, Father, that you work on who we are, and I pray that you introduce us to a sense of sensitivity to you. Let us not lean to our own understanding in situations, but as we spend time talking to you about them, I want to thank you that you illuminate, that you give us direction, and I want to thank you, Father, for the empowering that brings about change. We bless you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.